Lord, we are just so thankful to you for gifting your servants and to see those gifts become blessings uh, to the many and now to us. Lord, we want to pray for our brother, uh, Pastor David Wong, that you will anoint him from on high, that the meditations of his heart, that you have prepared him for uh, a, a message that is apt in season uh, for us here today. So we open up our hearts to you. We cast aside every distraction so that we can focus on the word that you have for us this morning. We pray as we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good morning. A few months ago, my wife and I were watching a program on the television called Renovate. And I'm sure you're familiar with that. And uh, I was so glad to know that uh, it is good work done by your family services down at Teban Gardens. So after seeing the program, I called uh, Pastor Kofai and said it's been a long time since we had coffee together. So very kindly agreed we came together for lunch. And I didn't know it was not a free lunch uh, because after that he said, could you come and preach uh, in my church? Uh, I am really not very keen to accept speaking engagements at short notice, uh, but I took it up for two reasons. One is uh, Kokfai's good friend, very hard to turn him down. And secondly, the topic he gave me has to do with one of my favorite characters in the Bible, Barnabas. In fact, uh, some years ago, I wrote a musical on Barnabas, Barnabas the son of encouragement. And so here I am. When the topic and the text was given to me, I thought of uh, all the problems that the church faced, even in the book of Acts, and how God allowed problems into the church to bring out the best or the worst in us. So someone said that God does not want us to help people solve problems, but also to help problems solve people. And today I want to focus on one person in which uh, we see the best when problems arise, whenever problems arise, and that person is Barnabas. So I'm going to slightly change the title of my message into Barnabas, the art of stepping aside. He happens to be also one of the characters I covered in the, one of my books, uh, Beyond Finishing Well. Barnabas, the art of stepping aside. Let us look to God in prayer. Almighty God and our Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that you may also open our hearts to you. Help us not only to hear, but to understand. And not only to understand, but to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this past week, uh, the world uh, celebrated the birthday of Nelson Mandela. Uh, he's in his 90s. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege of uh, attending a conference in Cape Town, South Africa, some years ago. And the city is best known for a man who spent 27 years in prison, most of the time on an island off the coast of Cape Town, known as Robben Island. Well, Nelson Mandela was convicted for speaking against the white rule in South Africa, and in 1964, he was sentenced to spend his life in a small cell cut off from the rest of the world. When he was finally released, he was 72 years old. He had spent 27 years in prison. And with the end of the white rule, with the uh, 
end of the white rule, Nelson Mandela became the hero of the people in South Africa and soon after that, the president of the nation. Now, he could have stayed on as president for the rest of his life, but one year into his office, in 1995, he declared that he would step down at the end of his first term. He turned down a second five-year term, saying that a person in his 80s should not be meddling in politics. An observer commented that Mandela was content to set the course, not to steer the ship. To set the course, not to steer the ship. And another commentator sums it up in these words. Mandela's greatest act of leadership was the renunciation of it. Mandela's greatest act of leadership was the re renunciation of it. Stepping aside for another is a rare quality in leadership. And only exceptional leaders know how to do it. Voluntarily, judiciously, and graciously. In the Bible, we have such a person, and his name is Barnabas. And today, while we are looking at this passage in Acts chapter 15, I want to take us back to all the references of Barnabas in the book of Acts. He's mentioned 23 times. And each time he's mentioned, we see a little bit of his character. Barnabas represents a breed of leaders who are rare and far in between. In his ministry and travels with the Apostle Paul, Barnabas' name always comes first. And this is understandable because Barnabas became a Christian before Paul. Barnabas served in the church before Paul. In fact, Barnabas was encouraging the people while Paul was terrorizing them. Yet, in time, the order would be reversed to Paul and Barnabas. And it became consistently so for the rest of the book of Acts. Now, this change may not be significant to us. We may see just the order of some words. But this change in order speaks volumes, especially in ancient culture where protocol is so important. We see how Barnabas, as he served God, he would relinquish his leadership to another. And not only did he step down from prominence, somewhere at the end of the Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 15, he will step out of the book of Acts altogether. In Luke's account of the early years of the church, he mentions two great apostles, and you know who they are, Peter and Paul. In the 28 chapters of the book of Acts, we will find the lives and exploits of these two apostles mentioned again and again. <clears throat> and as readers, we are left in no doubt that these were the two leaders who led the early church. But interestingly, in between Peter and Paul, Luke inserted one other person who brought the two apostles together. And that person was Barnabas. In fact, I would say that without Barnabas and the part that he played, the second half of Acts would have been very different. So if great men like Peter and Paul were likened to flaming torches, then Barnabas would be the small match that lit these torches. As I've said, Luke mentions Barnabas 23 times, beginning in Luke chapter 4. And in that chapter, as we see, we'll meet him for the first time. He would be noticed by the apostles who gave him a name. His original name was Joseph, 
But the apostle gave him the name Barnabas, meaning the son of encouragement. And if you look at Acts chapter 4, you'll find that the reason was because Barnabas sold a piece of property and gave the proceeds to the poor in the church. In the Jerusalem church, Barnabas had distinguished himself as an encourager to the people. His act of generosity in selling a piece of property and giving proceeds to the church for the needy made an impression on Peter and the other apostles. So they gave him this name, Barnabas. Barnabas, son of encouragement. The question is, did Barnabas live up to his name? Did he become an encouragement to people? And the answer is yes. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, would make a lasting difference in the lives of two individuals and a church. The life of a church with repercussions stretching far beyond Jerusalem, far beyond time, even to today. Now the first individual to benefit from Barnabas' encouragement was Saul the persecutor, Saul of Tarsus. And that was before Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle. We are familiar with Saul's experience on the road to Damascus, the life-changing experience where he found himself face-to-face with Jesus and was wonderfully changed and transformed. After his conversion, Saul found himself caught in between his former friends, the Pharisees and the authorities in Jerusalem, and his former enemies, the Christians in Damascus, in Jerusalem. The Jews in Damascus sought to kill him by betraying the faith. The Christians in Jerusalem shunned him on suspicion that his conversion was just a ploy to infiltrate into the secret Christian community. There was only one person who believed Paul, and that person was Barnabas. And we see how when Saul tried to join himself to the Christians in Jerusalem, it says that they were afraid of him for they did not believe he was a disciple. Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 28. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. There is a recent film version of Paul's life and it shows Paul or Saul being led by Barnabas under the cover of night to a secret rendezvous with the apostle Peter. You see, Paul had asked to meet Peter and Barnabas was the one who engineered the rendezvous. And in the film version, we find Saul first meeting James, who cast all kinds of doubt on Paul's conversion, who accused him of persecuting the church and of trying to deceive the church by pretending the believer. While Peter was waiting hesitantly in the shadows. And it was Barnabas who finally convinced James, it's all right. It's all right for Saul to meet Peter. Now we cannot be certain if that was what happened, but there must have been some elements of doubt and distrust. But through the mediation of Barnabas, Paul or Saul met with the apostles and began preaching in Jerusalem. Now I want us to try to imagine what would happen today if someone like Osama bin Laden would claim that he had become a Christian and was going around preaching the gospel because he has been killed. But imagine if he were alive today, 
and we hear that he had become a Christian, not only a Christian, but a Christian evangelist. Now, it would be hard for many of us to believe that is true. Now, Paul or Saul also had another problem because his former friends, the Pharisees, felt that he had betrayed the faith and they were out to kill him. And to protect him and to protect themselves, the Christians decided that it had been better for Saul, the persecutor, to leave. And so we read that they took him, uh, they, they, they took him to uh, a seaport at Caesarea and they shipped him off to his native home in Tarsus. Only Barnabas believed Saul. The rest felt that he was a problem. That as long as he was around, not only was his life in danger, but all of them were also in danger because people were going after him and through him, they were coming after them. In Acts chapter 9, after we read of how Saul was sent back to Tarsus, we read this very interesting verse that says, uh, it says here, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Had peace. In other words, Saul was the cause of trouble in that area. And the moment they sent him off, there was this, we can imagine, this collective heel of a sigh of relief that the problem was gone. They thought that they had seen the last of Saul or Paul, but not so for Barnabas. You see, Barnabas had believed Saul when he spoke about his conversion. And Paul, Saul or Paul, probably told Barnabas about his call to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. or something that stuck in the mind of Barnabas. And Barnabas continued to believe Paul, even though his ministry in Jerusalem was cut short. So let's move on to another development in the life of, the, of Barnabas. And that happened at the church in Antioch. Soon after they sent uh, Paul off home, News came to the church at Jerusalem that their daughter church in Antioch was doing something that was that has not been done before. This is what we read. It says here, and those who were scattered because of the persecution, they arose, they arose uh, over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, or to the Gentiles, or to the pagans, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this is a church at Antioch. They were doing something different, and the mother church was concerned, as any mother church would be concerned if the daughter church uh, does something that is different from what is done in the mother church. Now bear in mind that Antioch at the time was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, after Rome and Alexandria. It hosted a large Jewish community. But the church that started there had always been going to the Jews until some of the missionaries came from Cyprus and they began preaching to the non-Jews. Let me try to explain the situation with a modern-day parallel. Uh, I did my doctorate studies in Los Angeles, and I was told that in the 1980s and 1990s, many Koreans migrated 
to the United States and settled in Los Angeles. In fact, there is a place in Los Angeles called Korean Town, just like Chinatown. And missionaries from South Korea started going to Los Angeles to preach to the Korean migrants. In fact, they were so successful, so many churches were planted, that when a survey was done of the first-generation Korean-Americans, it was found that over 70% of them were Christians. But you see, when the Korean missionaries went to Los Angeles in the United States, they preached only to Koreans. They planted only Korean churches. In the same way, when the Jews from Jerusalem went to Antioch, they preached only to the Jews in Antioch. But there was this group of people who decided that the gospel is not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And they started preaching to the pagans, to the Gentiles, and planting Gentile churches. And that was a thing that caused concern in the mother church. So the mother church decided to send someone to investigate. And I praise God that they sent Barnabas. If they had sent someone else, I think the rest of the book of Acts may be different. They sent Barnabas. And we read that this that when Barnabas came, when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. He saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now it takes someone like Barnabas to see beneath the surface to the grace of God. He saw beyond the surface. They were doing something different. They were preaching to people who were different from uh, Jews. They were planting a church that's different from church in Jerusalem. But Barnabas saw beneath the surface to the grace of God, just as he saw beneath the surface to the grace of God, God working in the life of Saul, the persecutor. He saw in Antioch the grace of God bringing Jews and Gentiles together in the church. So if we think of Barnabas, he's somebody who is not affected by either the previous reputation of a person by Saul or the prevailing convention, prejudice of people against the Gentiles. He was not affected by all this. He was described as a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. In other words, he was full of the Spirit's fruits of love and God's gift of faith. He lived out his name as the son of encouragement. And so he urged the church to press on. As the work continued to grow, Barnabas realized that he needed someone to work with him. He could not do it alone. He could not do it by himself. So he remembered. Some years ago, there was this man called Saul, the persecutor, who became Paul the Christian. So he went out in search of him. He went to look for Saul. He went to Tarsus. And I can imagine the conversation between Barnabas and Paul going something like this. Now remember that when Paul left Jerusalem, he was sent up by Jerusalem, there must have been a tinge of, I don't know how to describe it, you know, some ambivalence about him. So imagine this conversation. Barnabas went to Tarsus, asked around, and finally located where Saul was. He was working as a tent maker. And Barnabas said to Saul, or said to Paul, come and work with me. Paul's reply is, the believers in Jerusalem, they don't trust me. I don't think they've forgiven me for what I've done. And Barnabas said, no, I'm not asking you to come with me to Jerusalem. I'm asking you to come with me to Antioch, 
And Paul said, will the people there accept me? I have a reputation in that, even in that part of the world. And Barnabas said, don't worry, they are different. We are a church reaching out to the Gentiles. You mean the pagans, Paul said? And Barnabas said, yes, don't you remember? You told me that when you were converted, God called you to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And that is, that is the people working with in Antioch. Now perhaps that was how Barnabas managed to convince Paul to leave Tarsus and go back with him to serve in Antioch. So we see here, just as Barnabas had believed in Paul's conversion when others did not believe him, Barnabas remembered Saul and Paul, or Paul, when others had forgotten about him. Barnabas and Paul went to Antioch. Paul had a fresh start, fulfilling his calling to the Gentiles, bringing the gospel far and wide. And the partnership of these two men, of Barnabas and Saul, saw many disciples added to the church. They bonded beautifully. They became an outstanding team. And for one year, they served in Antioch. Not only in Antioch, but also in Jerusalem. On several occasions, they represented the daughter church in Antioch to the mother church in Jerusalem. And once when a famine hit Jerusalem, Barnabas and Saul were the one who brought an offering to help the believers there. There was another time when the church uh, decided to send uh, Barnabas and Saul, uh, Paul, on a mission uh, to Jerusalem to deal with this whole issue of circumcision. Well, there came a time when the church decided that they would spread the gospel beyond their own city, beyond Jerusalem, beyond Antioch. And so they decided on a mission trip. And this is when another person came into the picture, a young man called John Mark. On that first missionary journey, a young man, John Mark, joined Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey. And if you follow the missionary journey, you will find that not long after the missionary journey started, Paul took over as leader and Mark decided to leave for home. We're not sure if those two changes were related, as we'll see, but Mark left. And in the passage that we are looking at today, that was the cause of the conflict between Paul and Barnabas. So let me just backtrack to John Mark and have an understanding of how this young man caused so much problem for Barnabas and for Paul and caused them such sharp disagreement that they broke up as a team. We're told that John Mark lives with his mother in Jerusalem. Uh, he's related to Barnabas as cousin, some translation puts as nephew. And later on, he was an assistant to Peter, who called him my son. Uh, as we saw in, the, uh, in Acts chapter 13, he was recruited as assistant of first missionary journey. And what happened was that he abandoned the missionary team somewhere in Pamphylia. And because of this, when Paul and Barnabas decided on the second missionary journey, he was rejected by Paul. Paul said, no, we can't take him with us. Now, 
we may want to ask ourselves why he left the team. If you read commentators, there are three reasons they are sometimes given. One could be because uh, his uncle, Barnabas, who led the team at the beginning, now had been taken over by Paul. Uh, somewhere in the missionary journey, about the time when Mark left the team, the order of names was changed from Barnabas and Saul to Paul and Barnabas. Is it because uh, Mark could not submit to the leadership of Paul? That could be a reason. Another reason could be as they came to the part in Pamphylia, the journey was uphill, was up into the mountain. It was a difficult terrain. It could be that Mark was not used to such uh, difficult terrain and decided that he would go home. Some people said because he lived with his mother, he was one of those who was tied to the mother's apron string. He was homesick. Maybe he missed the mother's cooking. No, maybe he didn't know how to iron his clothes. I don't know. Uh, he decided that he would go home. Now because of this, when he came to the second missionary journey, so, uh, Paul decided against taking Mark on the journey. And what are his reasons? Very simple. Mark abandoned the team. Uh, he failed to meet the test. Uh, he would be a liability if it happened again. Uh, if it could happen the first time, it could happen the second time. But basically what Paul is saying to Barnabas is Mark doesn't deserve a second chance. He doesn't deserve a second chance. Uh, but Barnabas thought differently. Barnabas stood with Mark. And the amazing thing was he stood with Mark even though he knew it would affect his friendship with Paul. Well, he stood with Mark for a number of reasons. One, it was Mark's first experience. He was still young. Uh, he should be given a second chance. I still remember uh, many years ago, uh, my secretary in, my, in the church I pastored uh, was learning to drive. Uh, she had got a provisional driver's license and she was trying to find every opportunity to drive. So one day she had to see a deacon to collect something from him and the deacon said, why don't I give you a lift back to church? And um, my secretary said, can I drive? No. And the deacon said, sure, I take the wheel, I'll sit next to you. And she drove. When she came to a, a junction, uh, she didn't brake fast enough and she hit the car in front. It was quite a shock. They came down, they looked at the damage. Fortunately, it was just bumper to bumper, nothing serious. And uh, when they walked back to the car, guess which side of the car she walked back to? Well, she walked back to the passenger side. But I thank God for this deacon. Uh, his name could have been Barnabas. He said, no, 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 you go back to the driver's seat. Uh, when she came back to the office, she related to the incident to me. And she said, that this deacon trusted her even though she almost banged his car. And you know, eventually she passed a driving test. And she testified that if that deacon had lost trust in her and let her sit on the passenger side, she would have lost her confidence in driving. But because the deacon gave her a second chance, it gave her confidence in driving. And that's what Barnabas did. Barnabas gave Mark a second chance. The amazing thing we see in this episode 
is Paul was given the second chance by Barnabas. Remember how Barnabas believed him and the others doubted him? And how Barnabas remembered him when others had forgotten him? Somehow, it never occurred to Paul that given a second chance, he should have given Mark also a second chance. Well, he didn't. But there's a happy ending to the story. Thank God. Because later on in his ministry, we'll find uh, Paul commending Mark to the church in Colossae. Uh, we will find Mark even, uh, Paul, even when he was in prison, when only Luke was with him, he asked for Mark. And he said, uh, ask him to come because he has been helpful to me in my ministry. So Mark proved to be useful and helpful despite his initial failure. Well, thank God for Barnabas. But he paid a price for standing with Mark because of the argument over Mark that wonderful team was broken up. And we read in Acts chapter 15 that Paul decided to take Silas and started a new team, but Barnabas stayed with Mark and they went on their way. And after that, we never hear of Barnabas again. He basically just disappeared from the book of Acts. But he left behind Saul or Paul. He left behind the church at Antioch and he left behind John Mark. And we will see this happening. He lost his partnership with Mark, and he fades out of the book of Barnabas. But he was vindicated in the end, right? Mark became useful to Paul. He became associate of Peter. He was a translator for Peter, and he wrote the gospel, which many scholars believe is the first gospel to be written. So if you look at Barnabas, how do you sum up his life and his work? One, he mentored Saul the persecutor and turned him into Paul the apostle. Secondly, he encouraged the church at Antioch and he turned it into a center of worldwide missions. If not for the church at Antioch, the gospel would not have gone out to the Gentiles, Gentiles like us. And he also mentored Paul, uh, Mark the deserter, the one who deserted the, the missionary team and turned him into Mark the gospel writer. And each time as he did it, you find that he stepped aside. After he had done what he felt he should do, he just stepped aside and he disappeared into oblivion. Well, Barnabas is a kind of Nelson Mandela who decided to step aside. But I know the greatest example of someone who stepped aside is our Lord Jesus. We sang just now that song that we were taught, the new song, May I Never Lose the Wonder, the Wonder of the Cross. Uh, you know what Jesus did on the cross was exactly that. He gave everything he could give, and he stepped aside. Uh, someone wrote a book on the parable of the prodigal son, and he titled it, The Prodigal Father. I don't know whether you have ever thought about the word prodigal. What does the word prodigal mean? Literally, the word prodigal means someone who spends everything until he has nothing left. 
So when we look at the story of the father and the two sons, we often think of the younger son as the prodigal son because he took the father's money and he went and spent everything. But in this book uh, by John Piper, the prodigal father, he says actually the father was actually the one who was prodigal because there was so much love in him and so much grace in him that he was prepared to give every part of his grace and love to his son. In fact, he was rebuked by the elder, bro elder son because of, of what he did. But God is like that. God is prodigal. He's generous. He's gracious. He will give and give until there's nothing left to give. And then he'll give some more. As we think about Barnabas, it is a pale reflection of our Heavenly Father. It is also a pale reflection of our Lord Jesus. Because on the cross, what Jesus did was that he gave. He gave to people who didn't deserve it. He gave to people who needed a second chance. He gave, he gave, until nothing left to give. And then he gave some more. May we never lose the wonder of what God did on the cross as we remember what Barnabas did in the book of Acts. Let us pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you present to us in your word men and women to teach us how we may live. And as we look at Barnabas today, we see a pale reflection of him in our Lord Jesus. We see Jesus in him. For Jesus was someone who gave graciously and generously of grace, of love. And on the cross, he gave everything. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us. Help us to be sons and daughters of encouragement. Help us to be generous with grace and with love. For there are so many who need a second chance. There are so many who need us to believe them when others doubt them. There are so many who need us to remember them when others have forgotten them. So help us, Lord, to be a Barnabas, to be a son of encouragement. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing this song together? <laughs> That's a lot to change our hearts. And I want to invite you to an altar call also. You know, we had a whole series about the power of the Holy Spirit. What power we need to grant forgiveness, to give someone a second chance. Or perhaps we are the ones who, who need a second chance. And I remember in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Why not rather be wrong? And I believe that was the very posture that Barnabas took with uh, Paul. He could have been very, very wrong to bring Mark back. Could have been. Turned out okay for him to give a second chance. So let's sing this song together. Change my heart over. Okay?